What makes a great solar business? How can you learn from the past and prepare for the future so your solar business thrives? We set out to answer these questions and more. My name is Nigel Morris and I'm the Head of Business Development at Solar Analytics. Welcome to Great Solar Business, proudly brought to you by Solar Juice. Well, hello, solar friends, and welcome back to yet another episode of Great Solar Business. This week, we explore yet more secrets of making a great solar business and discuss the topic, the clean energy regulator. Sounds ominous, but I'm looking forward to it, actually. Now, much like the dichotomy of views in the world today about so many issues, there are some diametrically opposed views about whether the solar industry is over-regulated or under-regulated. I know from first-hand experience how much paperwork and administration is involved in selling, connecting uh, a solar system and ensuring solar compliance is up to date. On the other hand, somehow, crap solar systems still get sold, installed and left for dead every single day. So how do we get the balance right in regulation? Who should be in charge? What will it take to get the balance right? To answer these questions and many more, I reached out to Matthew Power and Mark Williamson from the Clean Energy Regulator. Gentlemen, welcome to Great Solar Business. Thanks, Nigel. Hi, Nigel. Thank you. You're most welcome. Um, fellas, as, as is always the case, why don't we start off with an introduction? Um, please uh, give us a brief introduction to yourselves, your roles, and um, perhaps a backstory of the clean energy regulator's history. Thanks. Uh, Mark Williamson, I'm one of two executive general managers reports to our chair and chief executive, and I look after, uh, in my division, the renewable energy target, um, our uh, energy policy area, our economic analysis, uh, that one of its key things is the quarterly carbon market report that we put out, uh, our compliance enforcement and our digital services branch. I guess the backstory of the Clean Energy Regulator is we were formed in April um, 2012, so coming up for our 10th anniversary, to run the carbon pricing mechanism, or some called it the carbon tax. And uh, we were formed from bits and pieces of government. The, uh, the anger function came from the Department of Climate Change and Energy Efficiency, and uh, probably a good segue to Matt, uh, we inherited the Office of Renewable Energy Regulator, and and Matt Power actually came with that team. So over to you, Matt. So, yeah, Matt Power, General Manager for the Renewable Energy Target branch that Mark said um, under his division. Um, yes, I'm one of the few still around from the, the merger into the Clean Energy Regulator. So I've got uh, the long history and knowledge of uh, the original mandatory Renewable Energy Target in it um, and, and when there were only the single certificates, Renewable Energy Certificates, um, and in the day when solar PV systems, you know, you would be lucky to get, uh, you know, 50 installations a year, where now we're getting over four or close to 400,000 or above uh, solar PV installations this year alone. Wow. Hasn't your world changed, Matthew? Yeah, it did. <laughs> if, you had a, if you had a predictive asked me back then, uh, 12, 10 years, 12 years ago, I'm, I'm not sure I would have uh, believed you if we'd be at 400 to 450,000 installations this year. 
<laughs> I, I think we would have all struggled to uh, to predict that, uh, Matthew. So uh doesn't surprise me at all. And it's, it's a great segue, actually, because a great place to start this conversation is right at the macro level. You know, the, the, the industry, as, you, as you've experienced firsthand, the industry has grown to become, you know, a very material part of the energy mix these days and, and a massive industry sector. Uh, and, and I know the Clean Energy Regulator um, does an enormous amount of work on forecasting and trying to um, predict what that growth is going to be like uh, for a whole variety of reasons. Um, you know, tell us about your your um, predictive work and your forecast work, and 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 I guess most importantly, you know, what do you think is going to happen in the next few years? It's a great question, Nigel. Um, in twenty sixteen, about seven hundred and fifty megawatts was added in the small scale renewable energy scheme. It's been growing since then, about thirty five percent capacity increase year on year for quite a few years now, and I don't know of any other industry anywhere that's been growing at that kind of rate. And mm-hmm. we hit a record of three gigawatts uh, last year in in the 2020 calendar year. Um, and what we've said in our recent quarterly carbon market report is that we, but, but for the lockdowns, and I do want to recognise the pain that's uh, obviously causing to uh, installers in the in the lockdown areas and companies operating in that those lockdown areas. But this year it would have been heading for north of 3.6 gigawatts um, uh, this year. Mm-hmm. So the growth was kind of looking like it was flattening a little bit, you know, not quite the 35% year on year, but still quite spectacular. So at this, at this stage, despite the lockdowns, we think it'll finish the year uh, above last year's three gigawatt level, but probably not far above it. We're trying to refine that based on the the changing lockdown restrictions. Mm. But, um, I mean, our view is based on the fact that it was looking like heading over 3.6 gigawatts this year, but for the lockdowns, that if all goes well with opening up and high vaccination rates and things getting back to a, a different normal, we would start off by saying that next year should be, we would think, spring back a bit to around the three and a half gigawatts but gee <laughs> it wouldn't surprise if it goes higher again I guess the question is whether when people um, come out of all this saving they're doing whether they go on holidays or spend it on more home improvements but Matt <laughs> might be able to add to that what we're seeing in the uh, the bottom end of the large-scale renewable energy scheme the commercial industrial rooftop solar which is it's quite material as well on top yeah, so for that that you know the, the sector that goes from 100 uh, kilowatts up to that five megawatts, you know the same you know impact from COVID um, slow had slowed down that part of the sector. But once again, I think once business gets back to um, a bit of normality, as Mark said, we expect that that sector will start to grow again, and you know we could see you know somewhere between three 300 to 400 megawatts alone from that smaller um, part of the, um, you know, the 100 uh, kilowatts up to the 5 megawatts um, over the year um, and added a more broader uh, large-scale renewable energy target for this year, um, we, you know, we're still predicting around that, that you know, 2 to 2.5 gigawatts um, in the large-scale scheme as well uh, for renewable um, registrations. Yeah, gotcha. And, and you know, what... what... 
I know I've been involved in forecasting work for, for many, many decades, um, fellas, and, and I know you guys have, you know, a wonderful data source down there and the ability to work with lots of great people who can help you with this kind of stuff. And, and you know, I, I can remember years ago doing forward forecasts and thinking, oh, yeah, it's going to flatline there because surely it just can't keep growing. It just it just can't keep growing at this rate. We'll have, you know, 75% penetration in some postcodes and, you know, we'll have this enormous, uh, uh, we'll have millions of solar systems and we'll, we'll be trying to sell solar to, you know, climate skeptics and it's got to flatten out at some point and it just hasn't yet. And and notwithstanding these ups and downs that we've had through through COVID and other impacts, have you guys got a view to when you think it's going to stop growing or do you, do you do you think it's just going to keep going? I'll be controversial by saying I think it's going to keep going. People have been putting those arguments to me for years, Nigel, and it hasn't happened. <laughs> and I think it's just fundamental, firstly, fundamental economics. If, you're, if you've got rooftop solar in most capital cities, the payback time, payback period is about four, four years. If you're working from home, it's about three. So it's kind of you're mad not to be doing it. Uh, there's almost infinite commercial industrial rooftop space. So once mm-hmm. once businesses and industry gets back to normal again, I think Cyro said there's room on commercial industrial rooftops for about 160 gigawatts of solar. Yep. Um, but then what we're also seeing is... Uh, you know, some of the old one and a half kilowatt systems are starting to be replaced and then the three kilowatt systems. So there are a lot of very small systems. And given we quickly uh, went through a phase where six and a half became, kilowatts became the, the standard size system, Matt can probably give some data on this, but, um, it, you know, the average size system looks like it's growing much faster again. So it's kind of those replacing the old systems that people have had their value out of it. and. Yep. They're seeing the neighbour put in the 10 or the 13 kilowatt system now and, you know, the little one and a half one uh, has done its job. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's looking like a beat up old Datsun at the moment, isn't it? Well, there you go, listeners. You've 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 heard it uh, heard it here first. Is the clean energy regulator t- uh, telling you uh, makes enormous sense and it's just going to keep growing? I like that. That's uh, that's a good message to go with. <laughs> So, you know, based on these projections uh, and from what what you guys have experienced in the past, let's, let's jump to the regulator issue, to the regulatory issue. You know, do, what what's your gut feel? What's your what's your intuition and your sense telling? Do you think our industry is overregulated, or do you think it's underregulated? And and what do you think needs to change? Right, great question, and, and I'll kick off first, Nigel. Um, uh, first, we've got to look at and tease out. Um, regulation based on providing incentives, which is what our scheme does. So it's voluntary to participate, but if you do, you have to abide by some additional rules over and above state and territory electrical safety laws. Yep, fair fair for a rebate, yeah. Yeah. So in in the detail of the the review we've just published, and I'd encourage your listeners to read the exact summary, which is a pretty easy read, um, really, uh, it says that most of the engagement we did probably suggested the state and territory electrical safety frameworks might be a, a little bit too uh, self-regulated. Um, we certainly had feedback that uh, generally it was felt that with rooftop solar being so prevalent now, um, yeah, 2.9 million installs, about 
15.3 gigawatts capacity in the SRS, but that if you include the LRET stuff, Matt talked about, it's probably more like 17 gigawatts. There was generally a view that base electrical safety training should include the sort of training that the Clean Energy Council requires for accredited installers. In other words, that solar PV is a little bit different, and Nigel, you'd be better technically on the, the reasons for that. So there was a view that base electrical safety training, um, regular, uh, base electrical uh, training for licensed electricians should include specific training on installing solar PV. Yep. Um, there were, you know, certainly um, both we and the, uh, um, we found that a lot of installs have been done without a Clean Energy Council credit installer in site, and in fact, sometimes without uh, an electrician on site. And a number of the state and territory electrical safety regulators, they said they had found installs where uh, there hadn't been an, elect uh, an electrician on the on the site. Mm -hmm. So that suggests there there are some problems, um, and the review uh, provides some proactive ideas around saying, well. Let's force, force some biometrics so that we can be confident that there has been a, a licensed electrician specially trained in solar PV actually supervising the install. So I guess if you look at the, the combination of the two, the electrical safety and, and the regulation for the voluntary scheme, it might look a bit too much, but part of the framing here is the SRS is in a slow decline. The scheme ends at the end of 2030. And the review suggests that the states and territories ought to consider, uh, as our scheme phases out later this de decade, picking up some of the controls in it. And we would happily leave behind solar panel validation and a lot of the, the architecture we've got, which we think is a streamlined approach to regulation. Yeah. Okay, good. So, so definitely some opportunity for improvement is is what you've identified there. And we'll come back to the report um, in a minute because I do want to talk specifically about the report that just came out in the last uh, last few days. And I know chatting with you, Matthew, there, there have been several specific issues that I know your team has been quite focused on, which you and I had chatted about in the past, including DC isolators and the need for increased maintenance in your view. What have you been seeing there and 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 why is that a focus? Thanks, Nigel. Um, so last year um, we published a report called the Small Scale Renewable Energy Scheme Residual uh, System Safety Risk Report, and that report was um, looked into diving into uh, the the ten years worth or so of inspection results that we'd had over the life of the program. Mm -hmm. um, to determine um, was there any outstanding risk um, in our program above and above what would be in a normal electrical sense. Um, as part of that, when we did the analysis, um, the, the, the key findings that came out of that report were around DC isolators um, and the potential safety risks that relate to DC isolators. So as part of our inspection program in the early years, we were finding uh, that up to 5% um, of our inspections were finding non-compliant DC isolator installations um, and and that could lead or potentially unsafe, uh, as it was determined in our report, uh, to potential safety risks uh, in the sector relating to DC isolators at the rooftop and DC isolators at the at the inverter or adjacent to the, um, the inverter. Um, but over time... 
um, with work done by the Clean Energy Council and ourselves um, um, with the sector um, and through the Australian standards process, there has been a number of um, you know changes that CEC put in there around shrouding around DC isolators, providing yep. additional training to installers about how better to install DC isolators. So we have seen a significant trend down in non-compliance from our inspection results for unsafe, uh, potentially unsafe installations. We're now uh, that right. percentage is down down to about 1% of our inspections finding DC isolators uh, non-compliant. So um, that has seen a significant improve, improvement in the sector, which is always a good sign. Um, but as part of that, um, we also did some recent analysis of some fire recent fire data we got from the state and territory colleagues. And when we looked and cross-referenced that with um, the installation date of the system, um, we were finding it was just as much a occurrence for a fire to occur in DC isolators for um, recent systems, so systems installed in the last 12 months, as it was with the system that was in place for six or seven years. So, oh, really? Wow, that's interesting. So for that, there still needs to be some, um, and we have passed this information on to our state and territory colleagues to further investigate into. And so for us, um, we do still see a concern with DC isolators. And, and, and one of those things, like you said, is, is that um, as part of that report, we did Masters Electrician Association articulated in our report that Obviously, they are the one component that is on the rooftop in an isolated position, sitting there in the sun, getting the heat, heat and the weather elements, and it's and it is a, a product that is likely to deteriorate over time, and yep. and that's where it was in our report. We clearly stated that um, states and territories should look at um, the potential or some sort of way to educate um, uh, consumers and owners of systems that this, you know, isn't a system that should be sit and, sit and forget on your roof and there should be some form of regular um, maintenance and inspection done on the system. So we'd advise all consumers they should look into that. Um, we, you know, we'd leave it up to the technical um, state and territory bodies to determine how often and how regular um, um, for further investigation into that. Hmm. It's certainly... That, Nigel, Wait, yeah, um, jump in. Um, the fact that... Although um, a feedback loop through to installers has led to a much lower rate of, of poor installations, the fact that some fires are still caught, happening early on, and you'll probably remember there was a bad batch of DC isolated caused fires in Queensland a number of years ago. I do. We, we still think, that given Australia is the odd country in the world here, we still think there's an open question about whether the, um, the risks that these... Uh, try to manage uh, um, um, are outweighed by the risks they potentially cause. But the, the states and territories are the ones who have to look at this. They impose this uh, requirement in the first place. Mm. It's certainly an issue that's come up over and over again, uh, and they've been, um, you know, uh, uh, it's, I, I, I can't even begin to list the number of um calls that people have made to um, do what seems fairly obvious and remove DC isolators because they are such an obvious risk and they are such a focus of where all these issues occur. But, of course, 
you've got to say, well, what are the implications of removing that? And what's the alternative to having a DC isolator up there? And is, is that going to introduce more risk? Um, so it's a vexed issue. Um, um, so, okay. So, you know, caution is, 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 is clearly needed there and it's still showing up on the radar. I'm intrigued by the fact that even the newer systems, uh, are having the same number of issues. So that's an, an issue that's not going away anytime soon, of course. Now let's, let's jump to the review. Um, the big news is, of course, the integrity review of the rooftop solar PV sector has been released. Uh, it's just over a year since the Minister for Energy and Emissions Reduction, Angus Taylor, called for it. How'd we go? Does the solar industry have integrity or what? Well, I guess the starting point is, um, Nigel, <clears throat> that enormous growth year on year, 35% year on year. So given that, we think overall the industry is very solid, and, and I believe that's what Minister Taylor said in his release as well. But when you have an industry growing 35% year on year, you're going to bring in some poor performers. And we know from mm. a number of investigations that there are both poor performing retailers, poor performing installers, um, you know, installers signing off uh, on the written statement of eligibility that they've been on site when they haven't been anywhere near the, the, the site. So there are problems, but uh, not widespread. The the ACCC provides a, a submission, which is worth a read. It, it summarises the, a wide variety of problems consumers have copped. But again, um, its overall tone is that the industry overall is good. Um, you know, there's not as if uh, it's a bad industry, but, uh, you know, the focus of the report is that all the good players have nothing to worry about, but those installers and retailers who are doing the wrong thing can expect that um, um, that we will exit them from the scheme with those powers. And, and I can say too, Nigel, that we haven't been waiting for the review. We've, uh, um, we've got a number of investigations underway uh, against retailers, uh, against um, um, installers, agents, so everyone in the value chain. And I do expect we'll see both criminal and civil charges laid in coming months. But obviously, we can't, we need to reserve those things for the most egregious players. And that's why we need the ability that we can exit those installers and uh, um, retailers who give us false written statements. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And I know I can speak for the entire solar industry and say uh, without any any doubt whatsoever that um, your continued focus on weeding out those bad players is going to be welcomed by everyone in the solar industry except the bad guys, of course. So, you know, keep up the good work. And I know over the years you you your, you and your team have done tremendous work in in helping to, um, you know, continue to to, to weed out those uh, those players who aren't playing by the game. So that's great news. I'm also excited. Uh, I think I, I've actually already sent a design off to the printers that says Angus Taylor says the solar industry does have integrity. So I'll send a copy of uh, – I'll send one down each for you after I'm done. Now, forgive my flippance, um, but uh, uh, this is actually really, really good news because, as you know, the industry has come under a lot of scrutiny and it's it's great to hear that the majority are doing the right thing. You know, it is a really challenging space. We've got electrical compliance, standards compliance, regulatory compliance, consumer law, phoenixing. Um, I, I, I was really happy to see the CEC gets accolades for doing a good job. The bulk of in, the industry, in fact, gets accolades for doing the right thing in in general, but in short, 
what the recommendations, if I'm not mistaken, what the recommendations uh, suggest is that if those recommendations are taken on board, then the clean energy regulate, regulator is going to, in a nutshell, take over responsibility for installer accreditation, amongst many other things. Uh, and you're going to get a bit tougher naming and shaming poor players, for example, and being tougher on getting them out of the industry. Is that a, is that a reasonable snapshot of what is a, a fa- I have read the report, but it's a, there's a lot in it. Is that a reasonable snapshot? Uh, look, I'll, I'll go first and then throw to, to Mac to go into a bit more detail. We're, we're not taking over the whole accreditation scheme that the, the Claims Council runs at all. Um, what we're doing is, uh, at the moment, under the current framework, the Claims Council sets the rules for uh, installer accreditation and also for the listing process for panels and inverters. Um, what we're saying in the report is, the Commonwealth should set the standards for the eligibility for a Commonwealth scheme. So we'll set those standards. Mm -hmm. Also, it says that we'll do the enforcement work because um, a a body like the Cleansy Council can't be given the intrusive, and you'd be frightened, Nigel, if you saw the intrusive powers and what we can actually do as a regulator. So (laughs) um, they can't be given those powers. So I'm taking that over. But most of the work that's currently done by the Clean Energy Council in accrediting installers can, and most of the work it does in terms of listing of components and, and the review does talk about more real-world sampling of components rather than the initial golden sample, most of that still could be outsourced to other party or parties mm-hmm. who could be an industry body. So I think that's an important distinction that we're only taking over the high level standard setting and the hard edge of enforcement and the rest we would go to the market and potentially one or more industry bodies could uh, do that work. Got it. Got it. And Matthew, tell me, what's your what's your take on this whole, uh, the outcomes of this report? Um, so as Mark said, and, and look, just to further further reiterate is that, um, like you said yourself, um, most of the industry bodies, if not all, have already um, further supported the the recommendations and the government's response that was in in the report. Um, and and like Mark said, it's really to um, have a single uh, Commonwealth regula- regulatory body for the oversight of the STC claims that are coming in. Um, and ensuring that, that that body has the framework to have oversight of it. So this is just going to bring a lot of clarity to the industry, um, that clean energy regulator will be that single regulatory body and will have the powers to um, deal and manage with any non-compliance um, and, and reduce the harm by exiting those bad players and any of those bad players where we need to do further compliance action where it could be criminal or civil cases, um, we will do that. So, um, and, and in these changes, we're, we're, we're trying to make these changes as, uh, as efficient and, uh, for the industry as possible and obviously leverage off our existing technology of solar panel validation and streamline any, new, any of the new requirements there, including that um, written statement for uh, retailers. And if yeah, I can I think, add that one yeah. on that one, Nigel, that that's a really profound change is the written statement from retailers and we're envisaging, as Matt says, that SPV 
uh, will, the apps will be upgraded so the the installer takes a selfie three times on the site, uh, locks in the geo-coordinates and the time of the install. Um, they put their simple little written statement in the SPV app, tip the box, send it off to the retailer, puts their simple little uh, written statement. But the, uh, the the powerful disincentive here because if if I had a dollar for every retailer who told me they were sick of being undercut by the crooks who are cutting corners by not having an accredited installer, uh, not okay. using approved components, uh, I'd be very, very wealthy. Uh, so this will create a level playing field. And given the incentive is still about one third of the system cost, uh, the disincentive here or, or the incentive for retailers to do the wrong right thing if they've been cutting corners is quite extreme because effectively they'll be put out of business if we deem them as ineligible to sell the incentive. Well, I think, I, I, again, and I know this has been a challenge uh, for decades and decades that I've been in this industry is it's, you know, you can set rules, you can set regulations, you can have codes of conduct, you can do all these things. But, of course, the ability to actually enforce and the speed at which you can process those enforcement activities is is a real challenge. So I think um, I think it, it, it sounds like some welcome changes and great use of new technology as well. Uh, phew. Let's take a breather here, fellas. You, you, you've been wonderful, but uh, let's just take a breath and hear a message from our sponsors. SolarJuice is Australia's leading solar distributor, providing complete residential and commercial rooftop solar component solutions. SolarJuice aligns themselves with brands that share their values of service, support, quality and value for money. Like their panel brands, REC, Hyundai, Trina and Longy, their inverters, SMA, Fronius and SunGrow, along with the Tesla Powerwall battery. Check out solarjuice.com.au and let SolarJuice help you become a great solar business. Great Solar Business is also brought to you by Solar Analytics. Get more from your solar, more confidence, more savings and more insights with solaranalytics.com.au. All right, and we're back again. It's going to be a long episode, folks, but this is a really good one. And I, and I tell you, if you have not taken the time to read the full integrity report on the solar industry and look at what the recommendations that are put forward are, you really should. Clearly, um, as Matthew and Mark are telling us, there is a lot in this and there are a lot of implications that are going to flow out of it for businesses. All good news if you're a great player. It's going to streamline things. It's going to make sure that the playing field is level and solar is safer and uh, smoother to install than ever before from, from my perspective. So that all sounds like good stuff. But let's, let's, um, let's shift gears now to the future, um, fellas. If you're a solar installer, what were the top five things or top three things that you would suggest they need to consider and prepare for given the recommendations in the integrity report? Uh, Nigel, from my perspective, um, the main um, thing that an installer should be ensuring they are complying to is that they are the installer and they are on site for installation. So, the main criteria for the small-scale technology certificates is the requirement that that accredited installer is the installer on site, start, middle and finish, is there and is signing off on their work. Um, it's their requirement um, to ensure that that system is safe and complies with the state and territory electrical requirements to be installed. So 
really, um, and part of this is we're trying to even, like we said, simplify this further by using the technology of the solar panel validation app to be able to do that geolocation um, of the installer that is there, start, middle, finish. Um, so the technology should make it very easy for the installer to show that they are there and are the installer there signing off on the job. Good. What else? Well, that's really pretty much it, Nigel. That's the, that's the one, you know, there, there are two hurdles to get this incentive, which is a third of the system cost. Uh, one is that an accredited installer does supervise the installation. And the second part is that uh, they're using components that are, in fact, having been listed and approved as meeting Australian standards. Mm -hmm. That's not a big ask, but there is a material proportion signing off on these things, not going out on site. So right. it's number one, number two, number three. It's it's the one thing uh, that we want to sort out here. Um, Excellent. I mean, uh, that's great. You guys are clearly focused in on that being the major challenge. And you can see the logic there, you know, having someone who's appropriately trained, appropriately skilled, actually there supervising other people on site and making sure that things are done properly. Clearly, that's the number one issue, right? That, that's it. Yeah. So right. we want to keep it simple. And as Matt said, we're keeping it simple by working with the app developers. So we want them to, if they're not on board with SPV, then get on board. Um and embrace this because it's it's their opportunity to prove the real value they're providing. And as I mentioned before, we want to we want would ideally love to see the industry or state and territory regulators pick up solar panel validation with all of this easy architecture to prove to the consumer that they're selling value. You know, otherwise, Beautiful. as you know, it, Nigel, they're down on the ground. They don't really know what's going on. Um, so we think this is a, a great thing to for them to embrace to to provide you know show they're adding value all the way, and their business will be stronger. And for those listeners who haven't stumbled across solar panel validation, well, firstly, I don't know where you've been because you're missing out if you're not on board. I was lucky enough to be involved in some of the earlier working groups uh, while the SPV scheme was being developed. Um, and in simple terms, what it enables you to do is using an app, uh, not only to do some of the administrative processing that you need, but it enables you to validate that the solar panels, the products that you're using are genuine. So it protects you. It can protect you from fraudulent supply it can affect uh, protect you from uh, errors uh, it can uh, protect you from all sorts of things and and if it's uh, used in the uh, the most streamlined and best way with some of the apps it will also speed up how fast your stcs are processed so it can actually help your business so if you haven't investigated the solar panel validation scheme the spv go and do it now now and Nigel, i know you and other installers love paperwork but it takes all the paperwork out, particularly now the proving you're on site and, and um, uh, the written statement will be a couple of clicks on your, your iPhone. Yeah, that's it. Look, we you, we all use uh, uh, digital in uh, in so many more ways today, and there's no reason you should be filling out paperwork. You can make your life simpler by doing it. It's a great point. So, so tell me, fellas, um, the recommendations are being made. Uh, Minister Taylor's 
Uh, in fact, the government accepted all of them except one, which was a bit more challenging. And they didn't not accept it, but they just said that it needed some watching, which was the issue of phoenixing, if I'm not uh, mistaken. Tell me, do you think it's likely that all of the recommendations will be uh, accepted and how fast will they take to be implemented? Yeah, maybe I'll kick off first and then throw to Matt. Um, uh, the only one that was uh, noted was uh, about uh, other regulators continuing to monitor buy now, pay later. So the phoenixing uh, one yes. was accepted. So we'll have the ability that if we declare a retailer uh, uh, ineligible to sell with the incentive, if they try to go out of business and start up another new business, well, we'll be able to whack a mole and uh, declare that other business to also be ineligible. And that's why I'm saying it's a very profound disincentive, Nigel, which will mean those poor performing retailers have got a choice. They either find another industry to play in or they've got to, sh got to clean up their act uh, and do the right thing. Um, there won't be anywhere to hide. Um, so the, uh, the buy now, pay later was a harder one. Um, it's been investigated to death, but there is a recommendation which has been accepted where the ACCC and ourselves uh, will do some education of consumers. And I'll throw to Matt to talk a little bit more about uh, what the department is doing there. But we'll make sure the uh, the consumer awareness around buy now, pay later is, uh, is had regard for. And there is a useful quote from the Clean Energy Finance Corporation in the report that uh, we'll certainly incorporate into the into the the education for consumers. But Matt, you might want to pick up there. Yeah. So on the um, that that recommendation, um, the department, as part of this uh, Department of Industry, has also re received some funding where that'll better uh, to develop an online tool to better support consumers in in, in buying a system and help them. Um, obviously provide better direction on ensuring they go with a reputable retailer and how they can make the right choices on the type of the type of system and the size of system that is required for what they need at their at their residential address so part of this will be to provide you know better tools for the consumers in making the right choices for the type of system and who they would like to do business with in buying a system um, uh, you said you know as you stated the government has accepted, um, the other 12, 12 of the 13 recommendations. So yep. all, all of these recommendations will be progressed now. Um, there is a process now the department will go through to, to draft up regulations that will go out for consultation later this year in October or November mm -hmm. um, to allow industry to look at the detailed regulations and provide their own feedback into those regulations. Um, how quick can those regulations then after that consultation be finalised? Obviously, any regulations has to go through a process where the minister has to sign off on those draft regulations and then eventually gets lodged into an executive council meeting for the Governor-General to sign off on it. Um, so the timing of that um, going through those processes might mean that um, the likelihood or could it be all processed before the end of the year might be tight, um, but it could look at that it uh, might be early next year that the regulations are signed off. Each of those different recommendations, though, may have different timing. Um, mm -hmm. Some of those, some of those recommendations could be implemented immediately or pretty quickly once those regulations are signed off. So things like the installer on-site requirement, which yep. is already a requirement currently under the CC guideline rules, and we've continued to work with CC on that. So there isn't, there, this isn't something that we 
have sat on uh, sat back and waited for this uh, report to come out. This has been a focus area for the agency, and we have a number of investigations underway and likely to see both criminal and civil um, action going against a number of players in the sector where they have been not complying with that on-site requirement. But we might find some of the other recommendations um, needing a, a longer transition. So things like when will the regulator go out to procure uh, the service of an accredited body to run the accreditation schemes um, and programs, that's something obviously that um, uh, wouldn't be in place for us to do until later um, next year to the, you know, later in the half of 2022. So each recommendation could have a different time frame. Some could be, like yeah. I said, the still on-site requirement be implemented very quickly where others might need a bit more time to allow the sector um, to be ready and get their own processes in place. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, and no, I mean, I was going to ask specifically about what you know, what uh, what your teams and 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 you guys particularly uh, think might happen with uh, the participation from those supporting bodies. Um, there's certainly been a number of bodies out there who uh, I know have been very keen to participate in various ways over the years, in um, you know, playing a role in in how the industry is regulated and the various different schemes that are in place. Um, uh, I, I, I'm a panel member on the uh, approved solar retailer um, committee, for example, and and uh, I just want to, um, you know, a, a personal plug there that I'll throw in that I know there are so many willing people like me out there who really do want to help. Um, that um, I hope I hope. Um, uh, as many uh, good solar industry people as possible can can come to the table and and help these processes along so that's good but listen we've been uh, we've been talking uh, a lot and and it's going to be a long episode but this is a good episode and it's really valuable for the industry so thanks so much but let's jump to the last question to to wrap it all up and um i'd be interesting interested to hear what uh, what you fellas um predict what your controversial predictions are uh, perhaps that you think might come in the next year or so of course we've got these recommendations that you're, you're telling us we think will flow down pretty quick but but what what do you think more you know more broadly what what's your crystal ball telling you uh that the industry might not be expecting uh but perhaps should prepare for you know what's what's minister taylor got in store for us <laughs> uh, great question but Firstly, I'd just like to thank you for your offer, and we will definitely take that up, Nigel. We know there are some really good quality people there who know the industry better than we do. So as we design all the detail post the regulations, we will take up your offer and others to make sure we get this right. But in terms of most controversial, in our last quarterly carbon market report, um, there have been some who have been claiming a stall or a collapse in large-scale investment for the last two years, and we've disagreed. Uh, and hmm. we we say it's likely to uh, increase the, uh, the capacity getting to a final investment decision this year that is back on the up. Um, and my bold prediction is we'll see utility-scale uh, final investment decisions uh, over three gigawatts this year. Um, so oh, back wow. to the average of the three boom years. Uh, so that's one, but uh, one, this is not a prediction, but the thing that worries us most is that, I think as you said it earlier, we've been most bullish on renewables, both small and large scale, when everybody else has been bearish. 
Mm. When you look at the uh, pick up pocket NEM or open NEM at any time and look at the low prices here, it's only early spring. And I know through looking at my own app on my own rooftop system, there's a hell of a lot more solar generation to come without adding any more. Yeah. We're still seeing total additional renewables Australia-wide, of which uh, around about six gigawatts a year, of which about five is in the NEM. Um, we haven't seen anything yet. By the time we get to late spring, early summer, with the additional utility scale and solar cranking at its full potential, I think we're just going to see amazing low prices. We're already seeing the mm. old coal-fired power stations ramp harder than they were designed to and better than anyone expected. But, you know, how long can they keep on doing that at their age, uh, trying to do things beyond what they can do? So I guess our, our greatest worry is that there hasn't been much progress on the integrated system plan. And Kobag yep. Bagnari back in early 17 when Hazelwood exited said, don't worry, wreck to the rescue. And the wrecked uh, and the industry came in and filled the void. But if we had some bad accidents in old thermal generation or you know, I've been in the commercial world, I just don't know how they're surviving at, at the prices I'm seeing. Uh, if we have some early retirements or, or you know, through accidents or whatever, um, the question is, can renewables come and fill the gap? There are plenty of projects and everything, but we're running up against constraints both in low and high voltage networks. So mm, I think mm. that's the greatest worry is that some people are still underestimating the pace at which this is changing and how quickly uh, things might happen. I think that is a really fascinating uh, way to end the show. And I remember very, uh, very early on in the whole MRAT scheme back in your early days, Matthew, uh, a lot of journalists coming out saying we'd never meet the target and look where we are today. Uh, so that's a great way to end uh, this episode. Uh, gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, but sadly we are out of time. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for the opportunity, Thanks. Nigel. Thank you, Nigel. Well, friends, that's a wrap. My name is Nigel Morris, and I'm Head of Business Development at Solar Analytics. I hope you picked up some tips on how to build a great solar business, and I'll talk to you again in two weeks. Great Solar Business was brought to you by Solar Juice, Australia's leading solar distributor. Solar Juice aligns themselves with brands that share their values of service, support, quality and value for money. Check out solarjuice.com.au and let Solar Juice help you become a great solar business. Great Solar Business was also brought to you by Solar Analytics. Get more from your solar, more confidence, more savings and more insights with Solar Analytics.